Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant, and with me I've got Captain Jared Van Ack out of Spartansburg, South Carolina. We're going to be talking about a grab they made on July 24th, 2022. So, uh, welcome, Captain. How you doing? Very good, Grant. Very good. Glad um, to be here with you. Yeah, for sure. We've, we've gone back uh, quite a ways, but tell us a little bit about yourself and about your department. Sure. So um, 32 years in the fire service as of now, uh, 24 of those years were spent as a volunteer back in northern New Jersey. I've been with the city of Spartanburg now for uh, coming up on nine years. Um, Just promoted the captain as of last week. Looking forward to those new challenges. A lot of responsibility, but uh, happy to be in this position. Well, tell us about your department. Sure. So uh, city of Spartanburg operates four engine companies, a ladder company, a rescue company, and a battalion chief. Uh, full staffing uh, puts us at about, tw- puts us at 23 per shift. So two of our engines would run four personnel, two of the engines would run three personnel. Ladder truck be optimally staffed with four, as well as our rescue company staffed with four and the battalion rides um, just by himself now your rescue company is that a like a heavy rescue or is that like a florida rescue is a like a two-person band-aid chaser type thing right no this would be a a heavy rescue and then do you guys have audio auto aid around you uh yes we do uh the majority of the jurisdictions that surround us, we do have automatic aid agreements with. Not all of them, but the majority. So we do go out into other areas and they come in and uh, assist us. Cool. What do you guys get on a regular alarm for a residential house fire? So on a residential, we're going to get four engines, uh, usually three from the city and one from one of our automatic aid partners. We're going to get our ladder truck, our rescue truck, and... Uh, our battalion chief. Now, when you bump that up to a multiple occupancy uh, apartment building, we're going to get two additional engines on top of that and an additional truck company, as well as a uh, command staff, additional chiefs from neighboring jurisdictions that will respond in and uh, go to work, you know, as a a division supervisor. And then what what does it look like incident command wise and uh assignment wise are you guys pre-arrival assignment incident command driven or how do you guys do work yeah we're we're policy driven so uh all of these job tasks are 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 pre-assigned so our our first due engine knows that they're going to be fire attack uh second due is typically going to pick up that water supply third due writ so on and so forth uh truck company our truck operates as a true truck um currently operating a quint and bouncing back and forth between that and a 95 foot tower ladder uh, for commercial response. At TDA uh, on order should be about two years out and that's also a, a dry truck. So they're they're operating as a true truck company. Our rescue company is the company that is assigned 
search. That's their their primary function. Uh, truck company can be pulled um, to assist with search if necessary, especially in our, our multiple dwellings, multiple occupancies. So rescues ride in with four. What is that? What does a search look like for them? Are they splitting? Are they doing VES oriented? Hmm. All of the above. So optimally, they would be riding with four if we were at full staffing. But like most of the departments in our area and probably across the country, we're obviously short staffed. So really, the majority of the time, our rescue is riding with either two or three. It's it's very rare that we lately that we have the opportunity to put four on it. But the rescue and the truck both will operate uh, to and split their crews if they have full staffing at four. And uh, yeah, they will they will conduct search accordingly, either you know oriented, um, whatever the company officer uh, calls for for that particular incident. Very nice. What's the search culture like for Spartanburg? So uh, I'm I'm very proud to say that our our fire chiefs, our administration have allowed our firefighters to develop, uh, you know, a culture for you know, every piece of our, of our incidents, you know, from, from engine company to truck company and, and search, uh, all of our firefighters are under the assumption that buildings are occupied until we determine that they are not. So we have everybody moving with a purpose. Everybody has that, that assumption. So we're going to, whatever we need to do, if we need to make entry through, through windows and instead of doors, um, our job is to get in there, and and search efficiently, serve quick or search quickly, and get the people out. Very nice. Uh, just not too recently, not too long ago, you guys did a uh, search class in house. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Um, you have to jog my memory a little bit. Uh, didn't you guys do like uh, in-house training, like you rotated everybody in for uh, like a half day or a full day of doing search training or am I not? <clears throat> okay. So, yeah, right. Um, I also work as a training coordinator in our training division. Uh, each shift has two coordinators and we run quarterly trainings, which we bring, um, we do two sessions in a day. So we bring half our companies out in the morning, half our companies out in the afternoon. And then in December, we run an annual training uh, where we bring everybody out off duty. Um, probably about going back uh, into last year, we decided we were we needed to address coming across a victim on a ho on the hose line. So when the engine company is stretching in, what do we do? Run across a victim. Uh, so we developed that training, ran everybody through it. Our division chief of training was <laughs> nice enough to sacrifice his body uh, as the victim so that uh, our personnel were moving a live victim instead of uh, just your typical, you know, rescue Randy or, or something of that nature. Um, you know, so we just stress the real important points of getting that nozzle, getting that fire stream between the victim um, and the fire, and then immediately calling for assistance for people to come up and then get that victim removed and the other key part to that is once the victim is removed we had to make sure that people understood that this is this is your victim if ems is not standing at that door waiting for you when you remove the victim you've got to go go to work so once we removed our division chief to the outside immediately we threw down you know a mannequin and required five minutes of quality cpr 
um, to be performed on that on that victim once they're removed. Nice. Are you guys using cyano kits by chance? We are currently or not. Um, I, I really don't think the subject has been been brought up, at least not not to my knowledge. But possibly in in the future, that'd be something that uh, you know we'd like to see. Outstanding. Uh, so take us to July twenty fourth, twenty twenty two, and take us through this call. Sure. So I had recently been reassigned. I was I was moved from an engine company on the north side <clears throat> out to one of our engine companies on the east side. Um, that particular day, uh, my normal crew was was off. My driver and my firefighter were both off. So I had two uh, detail firefighters. One was a relief driver and the other was out of the academy uh, about three months. And uh, I, I do also instruct at the academy. So I was with this firefighter. I had uh, a hand in in teaching him while he was out there. And he had some limited experience uh, as a volunteer um, in another part of the country as well. So our our call <clears throat> was not within our city limits. It was within the jurisdiction immediately adjacent to us on the east side, one of the uh, jurisdictions that we respond to and that respond to us on a regular basis. So we were dispatched out about 3.44 a.m. And this is now Sunday morning. And uh, it was the distance was approximately two miles uh, from our station, came in as a residential house fire, uh, didn't indicate whether uh, or not there was an entrapment initially. The comment stated that the, the neighbors were knocking on the door and they didn't get any response. So we ended up being the second new engine on that fire. Um, as we approached the, so let me, let me back up a little bit. So the two firefighters or the two guys that were working uh, and that were on the first new engine in the neighboring jurisdiction, they were also city firefighters. So the driver uh, was also an engineer with our city and he actually at my station just on a different shift. The firefighter who was riding in the front seat was also a probationary firefighter in the city and he was my firefighter for the nine months prior to this incident. So basically we had five city guys that were arriving on scene uh, first at this fire. So our uh, so the driver uh, from the first in engine he immediately called out for a for a booster backup. He, they had fire showing from the um, Alpha Delta corner from two windows and then one window on the Delta. Fire appeared to be getting up into the attic area on that corner. So he immediately called for a, a booster backup. Um, you know, I formerly knew as as um, nursing uh, or uh, we call it two engine attack. And that was the best setup. There was a, uh, a hydrant that was across the street in a new development that was under construction, but it was it wasn't clear to whether or not that hydrant was was in service. So we felt booster backup was the best option at that very moment. So firefighter from the the first engine, he stretched a line to the front door. We arrived and and hopped off. I sent my firefighter to assist him, and I began my three sixty. So I started going toward the Bravo side of the house, um, came around to the back, and that's where I noticed a pickup truck sitting in the driveway in the rear. So as soon as I saw that, <clears throat> that obviously set over a, a red flag in my head. 
I continued around to the uh, to the Delta side, observed you know fire coming out of Delta and, and moving into the attic area. When I came around to the Alpha the corner is when I was met by one of the neighbors. And he stopped me and he said, hey, is there a pickup truck in the driveway? And I said, yeah, there is. And he goes, oh, yeah, that that's his truck. He's in there. All right. So immediately I get back over to the front door. Firefighter had uh, the line operating uh, already through the window while my firefighter was working on getting the door forced. So I told him, hey, get that door open ASAP. This guy is probably inside. So the, the line continued to operate. He knocked down what fire we could from the exterior. My other firefighter got the door open and we immediately stretched in. I sent uh, my firefighter, I said, start searching. I said, go left and, and start a search. So the, the house was uh, not, not a large house. I'd say maybe, maybe 11, 1200 square feet. Um, the uh, fire area on that AD corner was the kitchen. So as you come in the front door, the living area was to the left. The dining area was kind of to the right. And then that opened up into the kitchen. On the Charlie side of the house, <clears throat> as you came in the, in the door off of the living area, was one bedroom. There was another bedroom pretty much straight ahead off of that dining area. And then there was another uh, sitting type room that was off of the kitchen. And there was a small, short hallway between that middle bedroom and that sitting room off the kitchen that also contained a bathroom. So we stretched in, visibility was uh, just about below the knee. Um, not super heavy uh, smoke, but uh, you know enough to really obscure visibility. So we we stretched in toward the fire, and it was a straight run. So I mean, it was it was kind of uh, kind of a textbook fire. We got water on that fire really quick. Um, Nozzle firefighter, you know, again, you know, he was still probationary, but he did a really good job of knocking that down. Um, moved into the kitchen, did that. Once we had a good knockdown on the fire, um, command officers had arrived on scene, transmitted that we had, you know, good knockdown on the we had water on the fire. We were achieving good knockdown. At that point is when I broke off the the hose line to uh, continue searching, knowing that we most likely had somebody inside the building. So I had the uh, nozzle firefighter remain on the nozzle and just back it up to cover us in case anything decided it wanted to light off again. Um, my, uh, my firefighter had finished search of the living room, the bedroom off the living room, and he ducked into that middle bedroom just ahead of me. He went around to the right side of the bed. I came in behind him. He got behind the bed, came around to the left side, and that's where he located the victim on the floor. His head was toward the door. His feet were facing that rear Charlie wall. And the bed was taking up <clears throat> the majority of the room. There was not a whole lot of room to work in there. Um, so my first thought was, all right, we need to get this out of the way. So I flipped the mattress and the box spring up toward the right to try to give us a little bit more room. Um, but we had difficulty trying to move the bed out of the way. I don't know if it was uh, secured to the floor, but we just we couldn't couldn't move the bed out of the way. So with very limited space, we really had no choice but to get him up and over. Um, my firefighter had um, 
when we talked about it later on, he had mentioned, you know, maybe maybe a window, but it turned out that the windows in that room were a good four feet off off the floor and very narrow. So that wasn't going to be an option. So at that point, uh, other companies began arriving on scene. Uh, another firefighter um, come in uh, through the front. I had called out victim, victim on the radio. So that kind of brought them to us. I told them, you know, we were in the Charlie side bedroom. He stepped in the room and with another person, we were able to lift the victim kind of over the, uh, the footboard. It wasn't super high, but it, it was high enough uh, where, you know, we definitely needed some assistance. So my firefighter grabbed the legs, firefighter that came in and myself, we each grabbed an arm kind of like in a wrist lock. We got him over the top of that footboard, got him back onto the floor. And then it was maybe 15 or 20 so feet to the front door. We were met by some other firefighters that had arrived on scene at the front door. We got the victim outside <clears throat> uh, onto the front lawn, <clears throat> immediately stripped off our masks, checked for a pulse, had no pulse, and immediately began CPR on him. Uh, medics were in the process of coming up to the scene, but they weren't at the front yet. So <clears throat> well, we had pr probably about three or four firefighters at that point involved in the uh, in the CPR. How heavy was the victim, do you think? So uh, I estimated that victim at about five foot nine, 200 pounds, roughly. And uh, he was clothed. He had on a on, on a shirt and he had uh, some kind of like, uh, you know, pajama pants on, on the bottom. How did you guys, uh, was he slippery at all or other than lifting him, was there any trouble moving him? Uh, no, no, there really, there really wasn't. Um, the, uh, when we looked at the, the bed again, that the sheets had, you know, been kind of twisted up. So my thought is that maybe he had, you know, been in the bed or, or, you know, laid down in, in the bed. And then when he sat up, he probably got a good, good breath of that smoke and then became disoriented, kind of rolled around and then fell off on that, that side of the bed. What do you think the timeline was between arrival and getting the victim out? So I went back to actually uh, look at that because I had called out again when we located the victim and I had called out uh, over the radio when we removed the victim. So the it, it looked like it was just under the six minute mark when we had the victim removed. I want to say like 554, 556. So uh, teaching a lot within your department and and whatnot, what do you use, what what do you teach folks after this grab or what's changed or, you know, how do you highlight this one? So, you know, I did, um, I did take a lot of notes uh, after this particular incident. I, I don't, I don't document, um, you know, personally every incident that I go to, but the more uh, serious ones. So I have some kind of takeaways and stuff that I can pass along to, you know, some of our, especially some of our, our new firefighters um, and fire rescue surveys has been a big part of that. And with the opportunity to teach at our recruit Academy, um, which is a County Academy. So, you know, we come in touch with a lot of the firefighters that we may be working with, you know, in these automatic aid situations, but just impressing upon them, um, you know, to know, know these numbers and know that the time it takes to do your mask up 
uh, you know, the time that it takes uh, to force a door, all of these things are going to be factors in the survivability of the victims that we have inside. So if you can do these things quicker, if you can get this work done in a, in a very timely manner, our victims have the best, best chance of survival. Um, so just a, a couple other other takeaways I had, um, you know, we didn't have a full set of irons uh, for that door force. He had a bar and I had a bar, which, of course, th that does work. But a full set of irons, um, you know, would always be be a good thing to have, um, you know, mask up times. I think we can always improve on the mask up times and make that a little bit a little bit quicker. Um, training on, you know, victim carries and drags. Um, you know, looking at firefighter rescue surveys and and search culture and how they talk about, you know, keeping the victim's head closer to the floor where we're going to have better air. And I think in this case, you know, that was really relevant because we didn't have smoke that was really thick and banked all the way to the floor. Like there was probably a good 12 to 18 inches of good air on that floor. So practicing those carries and drags uh, to try to keep that victim's head low and and remove them effectively. Um, those are just a couple of the takeaways I got from it that I uh, that I passed along to, you know, the crew that was there, and then especially our our newer firefighters that come through at the Recruit Academy. It's good as you as you're telling the story. I think we do a good job of teaching the like the arm drag and a foot drag or a leg drag, whichever way the victim presents. But uh, periodically, we got to throw in that how to get a victim over something. And I think back to the RIT drills when we were doing the Pittsburgh drill years and years ago about getting victims over something that, you know, that might be something that we folks want to start throwing into some of their, their search scenarios uh, to get the victim out yeah, and over a bed or over, over some furniture or whatnot. So that's good. Uh, anything else you want to add from this call? Well, you know, the, the, the takeaways are, are are a big one. I think um, everyone, you know, would be good to to make some notes and, and document some things after an incident like this, you know, because we always want to work on getting just a little bit better. You know, um, if I can be, I told my recruit class actually this morning after PT, you know, if you can get just half a percent better than you were yesterday, you know, you're doing a good thing for the for the people that we we swore to protect. So, you know, take notes, document, and then share it. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. If you guys are doing good things there, um, if people want to get a hold of you to find out anything about how you're teaching stuff, uh, I love that you get that sweet size department that's uh, good enough that you've got resources, yeah. but not too big that that it inhibits change. So if they want to get a hold of you to, I don't know, for whatever reason to to pick your brain, how's the best way to do that? Sure. And, and you know, I, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about it too, because I, I really feel that, you know, our chiefs and our administration have done a really good job. They, they provide us excellent equipment. We have excellent training opportunities. And I think that just, you know, speaks volumes, you know, for this incident, because, you know, I was working with two probationary firefighters interior, uh, and, you know, we were able to successfully knock down fire and then remove a victim. So that that speaks volumes on 
you know, what we've been able to provide them with as far as training to effectively do that job, especially within their, their first year, you know, and, th- and there were obviously a lot of other firefighters that eventually got in there and, and, and put their hands on, uh, you know, the, re- the remainder of the, the incident, but those initial few minutes, very critical. But um, yeah, if anybody wants to to reach out and, and, and chat, I'm more than happy to do that. Anytime you can reach me at, uh, Jared Van Eck at gmail.com. Uh, my number is 201-247-0854. And you can get me on Facebook and uh, Instagram as well. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. It's taken us a, a little while to to actually make our schedules yeah. <laughs> line up and do this. Um, yeah, but... we've talked about it a few times, but uh, yeah, life gets in the way, man. It's It's been busy all over. Yeah, for sure. For here too. Um, but anybody out there, if you get a grab, we want you to go to Firefighter Rescue Survey and put that information in there. That's uh, for us, by us, uh, to make us better, ultimately to uh, to make outcomes better for the civilians. If you want to record an episode, get a hold of me, grantschwalby at gmail, gmail.com or 239-898-0843, and we can get that recorded. And until next time, just keep sharing.